We're going to talk a bit about the Holy Spirit this morning. We're following on from Joe, who kicked us off last week on the Holy Spirit. Um, but before we do, we will come to God in prayer and draw on his presence. So we're so grateful, God, when we get together. And today it does feel like a picnic. It feels like a bit of a family picnic, a gathering. There's a, a lovely atmosphere of connectedness and relaxation in this space. We're so thankful for the first half of our service where we've drawn near to you, where we've been reminded you meet us where we are, that you love us despite our brokenness, that you have hope and plans for us. We give thanks for our kids that have been part of our service and bring so much energy to this space and so many turning four and five. What a lovely reminder to us that you say, let the children come to me. This is how the kingdom of heaven is. Welcome, welcoming the little, the least and the lost. And we pray a blessing on our kids as they meet out and about in the different rooms and their leaders. We pray that even there, your spirit will be at work to make disciples, to teach them to know you better. And we pray a blessing upon them. And now as we open your word, we remember, God, that it's through your word that you bring revelation. And it's through your spirit that you transform us. So you're welcome, Holy Spirit, today to tinker in our souls and to help us to continue to grow in our faith and our maturity in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're a Church of Christ, you will maybe know that if you're a regular here or um, maybe you don't. And Church of Christ history is built on this idea of wanting to be a New Testament church. We want to model ourselves on the way the church we believe as we read and reflect and learn was sort of formed in the early New Testament. And so the Church of Christ formed by laying off a whole bunch of the layers of tradition that had built up over the 15 or 1600 years or more and, um, and really wanting to return to the simple central message of Jesus Christ, celebrating communion, and we do that every week, and um, baptism as a way of acknowledging our um, relationship or God's relationship with us. And uh, so we sort of take a bit of a moment, we go, yeah, we're a Church of Christ, a New Testament church. And so we want very much to reflect the heart of the church as it was, um, as it was when it first began. In an effort to make Christ central, however, there's a challenge that we potentially have sometimes shuffled the other persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit, out of the way a little bit so that our focus could be on Jesus. And while Jesus is a very important and central focus because he is our saviour, um, in doing so we've somewhat disregarded the gift of the Trinity and, and including the Holy Spirit. And um, maybe if we add to that that in the recent years, so in my lifetime recent years, in the 80s and 90s, there was a renewal movement of the Holy Spirit in Australia and across the world, which actually caused some churches to go very extreme spirit orientation. And as a result, other churches who went extreme, no spirit orientation. And um, if you've been in the church and spent time in the church for the last 30 or 40 years, you will know what I mean. There was kind of an us and them camp. And as a result, we actually didn't have that great sense of teaching and comfortable teaching around the Holy Spirit if we're in the, this camp, which is where I was raised. I grew up in a church that had the Father, the Son and the Holy Scriptures. The church believed that at the 
um, closing of the canon of scripture, the spirit of God ceased doing the miraculous gifts, the um, spiritual gifts um, and perhaps the power that he had done in the early church. And I was raised with, um, I was telling them upstairs, with an opportunity in my young adults or teenage small groups um, given good arguments against my Pentecostal Christian friends that I could take and we could battle out Bible verse for Bible verse. So I was raised with a, an attitude actually against the Holy Spirit. Little did I know at the time that actually that was not the heart of the, the scriptures. It was not the heart of history. And um, to my delight, I discovered that God was not just words in a book, but a living breath and presence, as Joe spoke to us, living and speaking and ongoingly empowering and connecting with me in my everyday life. And um, that was a life-changing moment for me, or moments, it really wasn't one. Uh, you know, to realise that the Holy Spirit was part of actually the one who dwelt within me. And so over years, I've had to learn about the Holy Spirit in a way that I didn't probably have to learn about the Father because I was raised learning about the Father, but maybe not the Spirit. And um, I don't know where you find yourself on this um, spectrum of church or faith or even whether you have a faith. Some people may be here just visiting and checking us out. But um, this idea of where do we sit in understanding God in his Trinitarian form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you might be like me and have been raised or come to the conclusion that the Spirit's not really something you want to tinker with. Or as um, some people say, you've got to be careful when it comes to the Holy Spirit, be careful, and create a kind of a fear around the Holy Spirit, you know. And so um, you might find yourself there or you might find yourself on the other end of the spectrum where you're like, more, just give me more of the supernatural and the you know, expressive nature of God and feel a bit critical of the lemon suckers on the other side who don't have the joy of the Lord, you know? Um, and, and I understand that there can be both spaces. What we want to be is a church that reflects the church that God called us to be. And so that means that we want to make sure we are teaching. We, we do a lot of teaching about Jesus. We actually do a little bit of teaching about the Father, although I guess he's over all things. Um, and we want to make sure that we are still teaching and including teaching on the Holy Spirit. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're doing a little bit of a focus on that with Joe kicking us off last week. Um, so today, my job is to do two things. One is just to remind us that the Holy Spirit has always been part of God's trinity. That he's not just a New Testament thing or even a renewal movement ghost or, you know, new flavour. He's actually always been part of um, the scripture and I'll come to that in a sec. And then to really look into, well, what is God calling us to do? If the spirit of God is active still, then what does that mean for us as a church combined and individuals who make up this body? And so I just want to have a bit of a tinker around those edges. Now, before I do, I want to read from Acts 2, 1 to 12. I'm going to read fast. And I might not read it all. If I get to the tricky names, I'll just skip them. But they'll be up on the screen behind me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were, they were all together, all the disciples. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. How many? Oh, just checking you were listening. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came in bewilderment because such... Uh, sorry, each one heard the language being spoken in their own language. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all these people speaking Galileans? Then how can we hear them in our own native language? There's a list, it'll be behind me, of places that can hear this. I'm not going to read them because I'm a coward. (laughs) Um, But let me skip down. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This was the birth of the church, took place in Jerusalem 50 days after um, Jesus had risen. And, And here is the breath of God the wind of God, the life and fire of God um, being birthed in all of the disciples. From this point on, the church begins to grow exponentially. People are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry the good news message, their own experience of God's redemption and salvation, of hope and transformation, and share that with others. And each person, as they shared, would pass on this message and began to, the church began to grow exponentially, which is pretty cool. We had a lady upstairs who's a maths teacher who was leading worship and she wanted to run a maths lesson on exponential growth. And I've thought about one or two people who would really enjoy that. Look at Paul Scott. He thinks it's a great idea. Yes, exponential growth. Um, But for those of us who are not maths um, oriented, you may not enjoy that lesson quite so much. But what happened was the church doubled and doubled and doubled and doubled and crossed very much the, the known world in, the first, um, in its first generation. So the Holy Spirit was birthed at the church, but he was always part of God's trinity beforehand. If we look right back to Genesis, and Joe um, referenced this last week, but the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit hovered over the darkness, creatively ready to create. And he was part of the creation of the earth. The spirit has always been creatively at work from the very beginning. If we skip through Israel's history, we'll see the power and presence of the spirit turning up in places all the way through. The stories of the Exodus, we see the presence and the power of the spirit uh, working through Moses to bring about um, the the rescue of God's people. Now remember Moses? He wasn't a very good speaker, so he thought. Remember? He had a stutter. He didn't, and he couldn't do it. No, no, God, pick someone else. You've got the wrong guy. And God said, but who made your mouth? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to lead Israel almost all the way into the promised land, over 40 years of leadership uh, from a man who had a stammer because the Spirit of God empowered him. Skip your way through the judges, skip your way through Samuel and the kings, skip your way through great leaders like Deborah. You will find that the Holy Spirit is all the way operating through individuals for the good of Israel throughout, through our ancient stories. And so it is that we find the Holy Spirit is not a new phenomena but has been the present and active in the story of God's redemption all the way through. When sometimes I hear people and they will say snide things about, even Christian people, snide things about the Holy Spirit, because they're from this camp, you know, the one that I was raised in, that kind of space where it's like, you know, we want words and we want, 
you know, language and we should do exegesis and, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things but at the risk of the spirit who's uncontrollable and, um, and maybe could be fear, fear some, something to be feared. Um, and even people in my own Christian family who still sit in that space and sort of snigger at the power of the spirit but neglect to understand actually the spirit of God is, has been at work in our story, our faith story, all the way through. We find Jesus, when he comes to the earth, is at his incarnation. The scripture tells us it's the spirit of God that hovers over Mary and brings about the incarnation of Jesus. So there again we find the Holy Spirit is at work in our story of salvation through the bringing of Jesus into the earth. And um, many scholars will argue that the spirit is Jesus' closest companion. That as he goes through his life, he he sneaks off, he finds space, he creates moments where he can find time with the Spirit, where he's restored and renewed and re-energised, where he's able to bring his sorrows and his fears and his worries, because he was truly human also, and the Spirit of God, his companion, meets with him and helps him. Some scholars would argue Jesus could never have done any of the miraculous things without the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know because the Trinity is a much more complex thing than compartmentalised persons, but it's an interesting thought that the supernatural powers that Jesus um, engaged with all the way through his ministry of salvation on the earth were uh, the things that we saw the work of the Holy Spirit doing in the church after Jesus returned to heaven. And so there's this interesting idea that, yes, it was the Spirit of God working with Jesus as he was bringing about healing as he was preaching, as he was serving and washing the feet of the, you know, we need the Spirit of God for all of those things. And uh, so Jesus, uh, the Spirit of God was very active in Jesus' ministry as well. I wonder if you have a favourite of where the Spirit of God was at work in Jesus' story. There's so many great stories that you go, I wish I, I, wish I was there for that one. I wish I got a chance to see the feeding of the 5,000. But wouldn't that have been amazing? Oh, just me? Like, I just, I mean, maybe it's because I love to eat. You know, like, but I just love this idea of the generosity and, and just imagine, imagine the, the joy Jesus and the Spirit of God had as they together generously served to people who needed sustenance for their tummies as well as for their souls. Right, that would have been one of my favourites, I think. So after Jesus, the church was born, and from then on, what was the Spirit up to? It's an interesting question, isn't it? If you know any of your church history, you'll know there are ebbs and flows. We see times where you think, well, where's the Spirit of God in this? There's tradition and there's ritual and there's robes and there's candles and there's hoo-ha. I don't think it's called that technically, but that's what I like to call it. You know, like a whole bunch of hoo-ha. But where's the Holy Spirit, you know? It says hoo-ha and holy who, you know? And, um, and the reality is that sometimes when we look at history, we might think, well, maybe the Spirit of God did withdraw. Uh, but many scholars who are now looking at church history and looking for the Spirit rather than the story maybe of the church, looking for the story of the Spirit in the church, are finding actually the Spirit of God was actively breaking through in pockets here and there and everywhere all the way through church history. So one of those spaces might be someone like the mystics who were known you know, during the um, really awful time on earth and awful time in religion when, when Christianity was corrupt or the church was corrupt. Christianity wasn't, but the, the church was. And, um, and yet into the midst of that, 
the mystics were a bunch of people who really pressed in and found the, the presence of God and had visions and experienced some of those kind of supernatural experiences in the midst of a world that was really, um, you know, think Monty Python, very suspicious that everybody was a witch and was, you know, hanging and killing people for heretic behaviour that was nothing to do with heresy really uh, was much more about power and corruption and yet God was at work still in those spaces breaking through. In our lifetime, the 90s, uh, there was an awakening. Before that, the turn of the 20th century uh, across the globe was a real move of the Holy Spirit. To my surprise, I uh, recently read that there was probably five different places where there were great supernatural awakenings around the 1900s, 1900 to 1910, where people had experiences of the supernatural once more, where there was um, answers to prayer and miracles, where there was kind of that experience of the feeding of the 5,000 and those kind of things. And they weren't all in one place. Although maybe the Pentecostal movement is tracked to Azuzu Street or something like that, I don't know how to say it. Um, actually, the, the move of the spirit was much bigger. There was a move in America, but there was a move in India and there was a move in Asia and there was a move in Melbourne, in Richmond, in Victoria in the 1900s. An incredible move where God, at the same time, even though they didn't have Snapchat, and they couldn't share it on Facebook, and they weren't watching each other's podcasts to get ideas for sermons, where God was moving and collectively um, inviting people to experience a fresh, a renewal um, movement, an awakening again of his presence and his power. And I, I find that pretty cool, you know, and I didn't know that. I, like I said, I, didn't, I wasn't raised with spirit um, stories, and so for me I didn't know that actually there were these bursts of God breaking through and reminding the church afresh of our call to live as the people of God filled with the Holy Spirit just as they were in Acts 2. Now I want to really briefly, I'm, I'm way out of time so I'm going to pull in in a minute, but I want to briefly read from 1 Corinthians 12. It starts with the verse that says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Could just preach on that verse for a little while. Because for me, that was probably the verse I needed to hear as a young person when I was critical of people who were exhibiting some spiritual gifts that I didn't agree with. Does that make sense? Um, and, and the reality is that it's very easy if we don't teach about this stuff, if we don't read, if we don't give some thought to it, that we can be uninformed. In Corinth, they were uninformed in that they all believed they had the best gift and they were better than each other and they were a bit showy-offy and they had some issues around their heart and character according to the book of Corinthians or the letter of Corinthians. Perhaps in our society it's the opposite where we're uninformed because we don't want to go near that stuff because it's not our thing or it's not very sophisticated. And it's very hard to explain God when he behaves supernaturally. You know, we much prefer him when he behaves logically because it makes more sense and he's safe and we can predict his behavior uh, but God is not as C.S. Lewis said a tame lion God is not a tame lion but he is a good lion and so sometimes he will take us into places that are a little bit outside of our comfort zone and um and the apostle Paul says don't be uninformed don't be ignorant actually the spirit of God is at work and he's going to be at work in your lives so 
be ready, be informed, get, a li- get to know a little bit about what God is up to. I just want to skip down um, to verse 7. It says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Let me just check. Now to, was it some? To one? Oh, I see. I've got a different translation perhaps. Mine says now to each is given, not just to one, the manifestation of the gift, not just to one, not just to one. Now, we'll get on to one in a sec. But all of us are gifted just as all of the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. So each of us is given. To one, there is given a spirit of the message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. To another, I'm skipping through, faith by the same spirit. To another, healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. Still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are at work, are the work of one spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. So let me pause there. As I understand this scripture, to one and to another and to another and to another, all different gifts. One spirit, everybody has gifts. Is that how you read this passage? So here's our invitation as we wrap up this morning. What are your gifts? What has God gifted you for? What has God called you to? What has God empowered? I'm not talking about talent, because you've all got talent too, but that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about the manifestation, the presence of the Holy Spirit at work within each and every one of us. Do you know what God has gifted you with? I want to leave the pause for a sec because this is actually for us the great and wonderful invitation. Not only does the Spirit of God live within us, but he wants to live through us, manifesting his presence in his gifts for us to serve one another and our world. We might not feel worthy. I know I don't. But it's not about worthy. This is about God's distribution. Let me tell you real quick, this is not in my notes, a real quick story. We recently cleared out my mum's house, mum and dad's house. They've moved into care, we had to sell the house. It settled last week. I think the skip that went to the tip was two skips of six cubic metres. Is that correct? There's a lot of stuff. Probably can't imagine how much stuff. The cupboards were full all the way to the top. What we found in that house were a whole bunch of the gifts that we'd given my mum. Still tags, still in boxes, still wrapped in some cases. Don't imagine how I felt. It's not a nice place. But God has given you a gift. Not, maybe not just one. He's given it to you because he wants you to use it and enjoy it and bring glory to him. Don't leave it wrapped. That's your homework for this week. Ask God. Press in. Maybe think through if you know already what your gifts are. Whereas what is God asking me to use it for in this season? Is that okay? It's pretty exciting. I'm going to ask you to stand as I close in prayer. God, we are grateful and surprised 
that you would love us just as we are, as Tanya reminded us. Sometimes when we look at ourselves, we can't understand how a holy, amazing, mighty God would care about little us. And yet you do, and we know you do, and we experience you in our day-to-day, offering us every day your promise, I am with you. But even more surprising to us is this idea that you would give us your gifts, all different gifts, all different shapes, all different sizes, all different uh, capacities, up front, behind the scenes, words, heart, actions. But you would give us gifts that you want us to use for you. Not talent, not just our capacity, but your presence through us. So courageously today, we thank you. And we say to you afresh, will you show me what you would give to me that I might be able to unwrap and use for your glory? Help us to walk in step with your spirit, that our lives might bring glory to you and we might continue to grow further up and further in, in our relationship with you. So Lord, would you bless us and keep us? Would you make your face shine upon us and be gracious unto us? In our going out, in our coming in, in our labour, our leisure, our laughter and our tears. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace, my friends, to love and serve the Lord.